Thanks for listening to audio from North Monroe. To learn more about who we are, visit northmonroe.com or download the North Monroe app in the App Store or on Google Play. Now, here's this week's message. Years ago, Daughtry released this song called I'm Going Home. It really resonated with me because of how I feel about home and the healing power of home for me. Here's how the lyrics went. I'm staring out in the night, trying to hide the pain. I'm going to the place where love and feeling good don't ever cost a thing. And the pain you feel is a different kind of pain. Well, I'm going home. Back to the place where I belong and where your love has always been enough for me. I'm not running from, no, I think you got me all wrong. I don't regret this life I chose for me, but these places and these faces are getting old, so I'm going home. Man, there's just something healing about home, isn't there? Something powerful. When life goes sideways and nothing seems to to be right and your heart is filled with trouble and despair and all the anxiety that goes with it, so many times you feel like, if I could just get home. I remember my senior year of college, uh, second semester senior year, I transferred late, so I had some more work to do. But man, that semester was the semester. You know, it seemed like we all have that one semester. The girl that I was in love with that I thought I'd marry broke up with me in January. And then I just sort of slid into this depression I'd never been in before and really made me aware of clinical depression and how people deal with it and how hard it is just to make yourself do stuff, to go to class, to study, to make the grades. And I remember I was in this class that started at 7.30 in the morning, history of philosophy from Hume to Kant. If you can think of a worse class to be in when you're depressed, that's it. If you weren't depressed already, take that class. You'll be depressed. And I made a 37 on the first big test. 37. That was the lowest grade I ever made in college. Fortunately, everybody else bombed it too because when the curve was in, I still passed the test. But I was in despair. I went and talked to the prof and explained what I was going through. And he basically said, why don't you just drop this class? And I was like, can I do that? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, done. And so I dropped that class, which forced me to have to come back during summer school. But in the process, I just remember, if I can just finish this semester and get home, just get home, if I can just get home. And when May finally came around and I got in that car and I drove from Abilene back home, I couldn't wait to get home. And it was like healing began in that moment. And I got better and went back to school for that summer semester, ran into Amy, uh, and the rest was history. But it was just extraordinary how important that was for me. And I think it's important for all of us to have that place where we can go, where we know that everything's going to be okay, you know. But what do you do when you don't have a home to go to? When John chapter 13 last week and Jesus was talking to the disciples and he was saying some really hard stuff to them. He was saying, one of you is going to betray me. And that sent uh, shockwaves through the group. You know, it's not me. It's not me. Who could it be? And then he said, all of you are going to betray me. And Peter's like, never, no way will I ever betray you. He said, Peter, you're not going to make it through the night. You're going to betray me three times. And all of a sudden, they're all kind of rocked by this information. 
And yet when you think about it, all the stuff they're going through, these are men who had left their homes. They had no home. They had left everything to follow Jesus. And so they're with Jesus with no place to go to get healed. And think about how that must have felt. And so as they walk out of the upper room and they're beginning to make their way to the Garden of Gethsemane, their hearts are just filled with anxiety and dread. They already know the Jews are after Jesus. They don't really know what that's going to mean. They don't really know the form that's going to take. They couldn't have imagined the cross and the horror of it. And they knew that they had been betrayed, but they're not really sure what that means either. They just know that Jesus just said, everybody's going to wash out. And all of that stuff still rattling around in their head like used furniture in an old panel truck. And they're struggling to sort of figure out where they're going to go. And I can't help but think that this whole scene must have felt to them very similar to that time when they were in that boat on the Sea of Galilee. And they see the storm clouds build in the distance and their boat lays motionless on the waveless sea as in silence they wait for the storm. And then it hits and it comes upon them and quickly these seasoned sailors lose control of everything and they know that their life is in jeopardy. But in that dark moment, they saw Jesus walking toward them. And yet here they are again, the storm clouds are building, and yet this time everything Jesus seems to be saying and the indication that he seems to be giving is that he's about to walk away from them. Maybe that's where you are right now. You know, your life is in a storm. And it feels as if Jesus is moving the opposite direction. How do you hold on? Well, John 14, Jesus offers some encouragement. And this is one of the most popular passages in the whole Bible. It's probably quoted as much as any of the passages in the Bible. As Jesus begins to pour that encouragement to them. So setting the scene, they have been in the upper room. They did the Lord's Supper. They've now left the upper room. Jesus has predicted that they would all fail. Peter's going to fail them that night three times. And now they're walking between the upper room and the Garden of Gethsemane. They're not there yet, so they're in process. And Jesus begins to open up his heart and tell the guys primarily, look guys, I know it's about to get really bad. But don't ever forget who I am. Don't ever forget what I've done. And don't forget you've got a place. So how do we endure these moments? How do we drive this anxiety out of our hearts? Well, let's start with this. Remember to believe. Because that's what he says. John 14, verse 1. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Don't let your heart be troubled. Here's what I've come to realize. When there's trouble in my life, the trouble that's in my life tends to seep into my heart. And this word that he uses for trouble is a, is a very powerful word. It could be translated riot. Not unlike what happened in Portland in, in a, a couple of years ago, uh, the riots that went on there and the riots that we sometimes read about. That kind of word meant riot. It was translated in other places in the New Testament as terrified or disturbed. And so you've got this riot going on in your heart and fear and anxiety are growing. And now Jesus says, don't let that happen. Don't let your heart be troubled. And I'm like, 
Yeah, that sounds great. I would love to do that. Could you ex please explain to me how? Because the trouble that's in my world easily gets into my heart. How do I not let my heart be troubled? And he gives us the first clue. He said, believe in God. Remember to believe, right? Anxiety and fear run wild in our hearts. And when our hearts are running wild with fear, it's easy to forget to believe. It's kind of like, don't forget to breathe. Don't forget to believe. That's what he feels to me like he's saying. Uh, because we forget to believe. The crazy thing about faith is it's easy when everything's going your way. It's easy right now in this place to have faith. Look at all the other faithful people. Look at all the faith all around us, man. It's easy to have faith when my life is going well. But you don't really need faith in those moments. It's when you can't see that faith becomes so important. In fact, I would say this, that if you think about it, faith is only faith when you can't see. I mean, isn't that what the writer of Hebrews said? Listen to what he said in Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. And what's the rest of that? The conviction of what? Of things not seen. And so when we come to these times of turmoil in our life where the whole thing starts to crash around me and I begin to cave in, the one thing I tend to forget to do is believe. I lose faith when I need it the most. And so he reminds us, hey, don't forget to believe. And then remember who to believe. Uh, 14 verse 1 again. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Now look, these men grew up believing in God. Belief was a comfortable thing for them. All their life from the very beginning, they were taught to believe in God. The whole system of their uh, culture, their whole economy was built around belief in God. And they all went to the synagogue. And these guys grew up in the synagogue. They were on the, the cradle roll in the synagogue. And they ran all over the synagogue as little kids. They probably knew every nook and cranny of the synagogue. Like a bunch of preacher's kids, you know. If you, if you want to know where something is in this building, ask my sons. Don't ask me because they've been in every corner of this thing. And, and it's comforting, and the Scripture was comforting. And they would read those beautiful verses from the past, and they would be encouraged and comforted by that. And so there was this strength that came from that. And their, their belief in God wasn't an academic belief. It wasn't a distant sort of, yeah, I believe God, you know, kind of like God, the, the deist belief that there was this God, and He created the universe like a clockmaker creates a clock, and then He stepped back to watch the clock run. But He really has nothing to do in your life today. Their belief was very personal that not only was there a God, but he had a plan for this world and he had a plan for my life. I mean, uh, real belief in God is always personal. It's the belief that not only does he exist, but he's personal, involved in our lives. And he has a plan for us. We're back around to Jeremiah 29 verse 11, which no doubt these men knew. For I know what I have planned for you, says the Lord. I have plans to prosper you, not to harm you. I have plans to give you a future filled with hope. And, and that's the kind of thing they, they cut their teeth on. They, they grew up with. David put in the Jewish songbook, uh, Psalm 121, verse 8, The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. I'm sure they sang that every time they went to church. You know, it's like, a, it's like one of these songs that we sing that sort of lingers like a, like a splinter somewhere in our brain that constantly re recurs in our life. And that's how they believed. 
Um, he was personal. He was all-knowing. He, he could see what they couldn't see. Again, Psalm 139, verse 12, even in the darkness is not too dark for you, and the night is as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. And that's how they were. Believe in God. You believe in God. Remember to believe. But listen, believe also in me. You believe in God. You, you grew up with that rock-solid conviction of who God was and what He wanted to do with your life. And you, you memorized His Word. You've got it in your heart. Now, that same rock-solid belief that you have in God, you need to transfer to me. And you need to believe me that same way because we're about to go through some storms. And you're not going to fare very well in the initial part, but trust me and follow me and hold to me and remember to believe. And we got to remember who to believe. And then the third thing is remember what to believe. What to believe. He said in verse 2, in my father's house are many dwelling places. That's an interesting word. It's difficult to, to, uh, to translate. In the King James, I think it, they call it mansions. It's not really the nature of the place, although it's got to be awesome, right? But it's the fact that there are so many places that there's room for everybody. He said, if it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And I always loved what the old uh, contemporary Christian artist Keith Green uh, used to say, he said, uh, you know, when you think about this world and how beautiful it is, you go to the ocean and you see the majesty of the ocean or you go to the mountains and you see the glory of the mountain. You know, one of the greatest moments for me was sitting on a ski lift, looking back over my shoulder at the majesty of the mountains and how small I felt and how big God felt. And you see all of that. And then you remember he made all of this in six days. But he's been working on heaven for 2,000 years. Keith Green said, man, this is living in a garbage dump compared to what's going on up there. But the more important thing was, and what he wanted them to understand and to believe, two very important things. First is you have a home. I mean, I cannot imagine how hard life would be without a home to go to. Our home is a healing place. And yet that's not true for a lot of people. You know, I'm convinced that the most satanic and damaging thing happening in our world is the loss of the home. I know I hear Republicans say the problem is this and Democrats say the, the problem is that, but I'll tell you what the problem is. The problem is homes. We've lost the home and it's the foundation to everything else. My friend Matt Barnhill used to say, he said, you know, it used to be that when, when a family went through a divorce, the family split up, but there were still homes. And in most cases, that's still the case. But Matt said, today it seems like so many times that when families, when they go through a divorce, there's a disintegration of the home. And the home just disappears because mom and dad or, or, or both are, are doing their own thing and they kind of get lost in all of that. And yet this destruction of the home creates children who don't have a safe place anymore and they, they don't have a place where they can go where their hearts can be filled with courage when they're full of fear and trouble. In fact, sadly, the home is a place where that fills hearts with fear. Years ago, I was, I was with a group of, of youth and we were doing a mission trip to the Apache Indian Reservation in White Mountain, Arizona. And in the mornings, we would do vacation Bible school, and in the evenings, I would preach a revival, and our kids in my group would, would sing, and that's what we would do all day to a bunch of Apache Indians, a lot of kids. And uh, one day, I was uh, working, 
And there was this one Apache girl, and she'd been in a lot of trouble in the various groups, and, uh, you know, they'd had to kind of try to correct her and help control her. And um, so I'm, I'm making snow cones one day, and it's vacation Bible school time, and everybody comes running to me, and they're like, Bill, 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 you got to hurry, come quick, come quick, come quick. And I'm like, I don't know why everybody thinks I'm in charge. I'm 25 years old, you know. I don't know what to do. But, but we take off running, and about 200 to 300 feet behind this little white church on this kind of mountainside there in Arizona, there was a cliff, and it was about 150, 100, 100 feet down. I don't know. It was just a really big cliff. It was scary to get near, near the side of it, down to a river that kind of cut it out. And this little girl, 9 or 10 years old, little Apache girl, had jumped down about eight feet down, maybe six feet down. She was on a ledge about this wide, and she was about to take her own life. And so I kind of stopped, and everybody looks to me like, say something to make her not do this. And I'm like, I have no idea in this moment in my life what I should possibly say. So I'm like, come on back up. You know, we're about to have snow cones, you know. (laughs) What do you say, you know? And so I'm trying to think, you know, come on back up. Everybody's really worried about you now. Come on back. And then I said the exact wrong thing to say. I said, now, if you don't come back up, we're going to have to take you home. And man, this glazed look came over her eyes and she started to lean out. And when she did, all these Apache women that were there started yelling in Apache. I don't know what they said, but whatever it was, it was enough to cause her to stop. And she kind of leaned back against the wall and kind of came back to her senses and they helped her up out of there. And I was talking to him. I said, I am so sorry. I mean, everybody's hearts had just stopped. And I said, I'm so sorry. I I don't know what I said, but it, it was apparently the wrong thing. And they said, it's okay. You couldn't know, but her home is horrible. Her daddy beats her mercilessly. And so when you said you were going to take her home, that was the worst place that she could think of going. And really, that was kind of new to me, that home would be the worst place you could think of going. I'm so grateful that that little girl didn't take her own life that day, but it made me so sad to think she doesn't have a safe place to go. And I honestly don't know how you can face life without a safe place at home. Because when your heart is troubled, you just need to get home. And I think that's what Jesus is reminding us of here. He says, you've got a place. It's not here in this life. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. You'll have a place, and it's a safe place. And I I really can't imagine. You know, Mercy Me sings that song, I can only imagine. I can't imagine at all what it's going to be like. I have no idea what it's going to look like. Are there going to be dogs and cats? Can you go fishing? I don't know. Is there turkey? I don't know. All I know is this. It's a healing place. Because I read Revelation 21, verse 3, and it says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, the residence of God is among human beings. He will live among them, and they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them. Now listen to this, verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death will not exist anymore, or mourning, or crying, or pain, or the former things have ceased to exist. And the one seated on the throne said, look, I'm making all things new. How beautiful is that? 
And then he said to me, write it down because these words are reliable and true. We've got a home and it's a healing. You know, I think in a way the church was intended to be sort of a miniature version of that. I I really believe this. I think in a way the church is an earthly shadow of what is going to happen in heaven. And this is a healing place. And I think what Jesus is saying to them is, no matter what you guys are going through, you've got a home. I'm going to prepare it. And then he says this, and the second thing, I'll take you to it. Jesus will take us to the home. He said, if I go and prepare a place, I'll come again and receive you to myself that where I am there you may be also. He said, I'm going to come and get you and take you to that place. I'll be in that place with you. And that may be when he comes in his glory, you know, Jesus is coming. I mean, we don't know when he's coming. It could be today. It could be tomorrow. It could be a thousand years from now. I don't know when he's coming. I know he delays so that more people would know Jesus. And I know as long as he delays, our job is to tell them about Jesus but I don't know how long he's going to delay. But here's what I also know, whether he delays for my lifetime or not, I'm going to him. And when I go to him in death, he's going to take me home. And you know what? When you begin to contextualize it like that, when I remember to believe, then I remember that everything I'm dealing with is temporary and and I've got a different home. And you know what that does? It sets the frame of reference for me. Because we get so consumed with all this stuff and this junk, and we forget it's all temporary. Moms and dads, grandparents, remember this. You're going to die, and your kids are going to back up a U-Haul and haul it all to to goodwill. They don't want your stuff. They They don't care about dusting off your doilies and all that other junk that you've collected, you know, look at this, look at this, uh, you know, depression glass. They're like, yeah, that'll be great. Let's take that to Rolling Hills. That's what they're going to do. All of these mounts you have of all your trophies, they may not even make it to Goodwill. They may go straight to the dump because his wife's going, that ain't coming in here. (laughs) You know, forget that. And that house you live in and that you spend so much time on, somebody else is going to live in it until it rots. And then they're going to take a bulldozer and bulldoze it down and it'll all be forgotten. But you still have a home. And that home's in eternity. So quit falling in love with the scenery. What does the Bible say? He said, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers... Aliens and strangers, pilgrims, sojourners. We are vagabonds and tramps moving through this world. This isn't our home. And don't fall in love with it and don't hang on to it so tight so it doesn't hurt when, I love what Corey Tim Boone says. She said, don't hold on to it so tight that it hurts when God has to pry your fingers from it. You just remember this isn't it. And when we realize that, we realize we've got a home, Jesus is there, and that's where healing is then it puts it all into perspective. I've got a friend whose daughter is among the most beautiful people I've ever known. Truly beautiful outside, inside. You guys know who she is, but she has this amazing heart, a heart that belongs to Jesus. And then she got this terrible breast cancer. It was so bad that they didn't have time to harvest her eggs so that she could have children later. They said, we don't have time. We've got to start chemo right now. 
And so they thought she'd never be able to have a child. And so she goes through this horrible chemo. Cancer's in remission. They talk to a family. They adopt this little girl. And it's just a beautiful thing, you know, but it's all the struggle of adoption, everything that goes in with it. And then, miracle of miracles, she gets pregnant. And she has a little girl herself. But while she's pregnant with that little girl, the mother of the birth daughter that they have got pregnant again and said, do you want this baby too? And they said, yeah, we'll have this baby too. And they were literally in two different hospitals. I, I want to say her husband was at one hospital with the, with the birth mother giving birth to the child that they were adopting while she was in the hospital giving birth to their, to their uh, biological child. So now they've got three little girls and then she gets pregnant again and they have four little girls and they're giving glory to God during all of this, this national television program calls and says, would y'all like to be on it? And it's this beautiful show about, you know, parents giving birth and um, they're this vivid alternative of light to all the darkness that was in these other couples that they showed. And they're giving glory to Jesus and it's just an amazing thing. She writes a book, they go on tour, they're, they're giving Christ glory She's even now, Fair Park's going to have a women's event. She's one of the speakers, February 18th. I encourage you to go. And then she gets cancer again. And it's a second kind of cancer. You know, Phil Yancey wrote in a book entitled Disappointment with God. It was about Job. And he said, nobody deserves suffering less than Job and nobody suffered more. And I think about that line when I think about this beautiful girl. Nobody Nobody deserved what she's gone through less than her. And yet I don't know anybody that's gone through more. And I'm too old to get angry with God anymore. I've seen too much. <clears throat> I'm too aware of too much suffering in life. And I just realized we live in a fallen world and I hate it. But I do struggle with questions. And I, I, I have this question, God, why don't you cover up these horrible people, these difficult, lying, cheating, terrible people. Give them the cancer and give these beautiful people the pass. Why don't you do that? I mean, start in Washington if you need to. I mean, what, whatever you need. To, I'm just kidding. It's a joke. Don't email me. That's not in my notes. I didn't even mean to say it. I really think God says, Dow, you better be careful what you ask for because you're not one of the beautiful people. So, But man, it just fills you up. And I, and I tell myself, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask him that question. And then I realize that when I get to heaven, I'm going to be so blown away by his glory that I don't think I'm going to be able to say a word. And I'm going to look around and see what He's prepared for us and the home that He has for us. And probably the only question I think I'll be able to ask is, God, why didn't You let me get here sooner? Why did I hold on so tightly to this earth? And then I'll know why what we call death, He calls deliverance. Because on that day, I'll finally be home. And all those beautiful souls that suffered so much will be home with me. And you know what? 
when I remember to believe and I remember who to believe and I remember what to believe, knowing that I have a home drives trouble from my heart. Daughtry was right. Well, I'm going home. Back to the place where I belong and where your love has always been enough for me. And until I get home, I want to be found faithful. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for our home. Thank you that the troubles we feel, if we can just get home, healing is in the home. I pray that this church would be a, a shadow of what's coming, would give an indication of who you are and what home is like. Father, I thank you that you've already prepared a place for us and you're going to lead us to that place. So use that knowledge to drive this trouble out of our hearts. Father, I pray for those whose hearts are troubled. God, let them see clearly your glory. We thank you that Jesus made this possible and the great gift he gave us on the cross. In Christ's name, amen. Our hope is that this message has encouraged you to seek Christ in your own life and make him known wherever you are. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and share it with a friend. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.